Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters here on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Thursday, December 15th, we are studying the hymn, Hark the Glad Sound. It's number 349 in Lutheran Service Book. This hymn, written by Philip Doddridge, teaches us to listen to the good news that our Savior comes to us and invites us to respond with praise. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Steve Andrews. Pastor Andrews serves at St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Lee's Summit, Missouri. Pastor Andrews, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you, brother, for giving me the opportunity to be with you today. Pastor Andrews, let's talk a little bit about the season of Advent. We're well into the season by now. In fact, we're in the third week as this program is airing, which is the Rejoice Week, the rose-colored or pink-colored candle. And I think this is a great hymn for that week as it as it so happens. But let's talk a little bit about the season of Advent. What's the, what's the importance of the season, both for our church and for us as individual Christians? Sure. Well, it has this twofold kind of nature to it is Advent is a season of preparation. Much like the season of Lent, it has this reflection upon our sin, a confession of sin, a repentance of sin, as we are looking to the return of Jesus Christ, which brings about the the day of judgment, the last day. And so we, knowing that day comes, we wish to repent of sin and to trust in the Lord. So preparation is one And the other ends up being this time of anticipation, this time of excitement as we look forward to that return of Christ as well. Because that day is not just judgment day, but that day is the day Christ welcomes us into paradise, the new heaven, the new earth that he is creating for us even now. And we get to live with our Savior and reign with our Savior forever. And it's going to be this tremendous, tremendous thing. So as Christians, We both prepare and excitedly wait um, as we go through this season of Advent. Yeah, that that twofold emphasis of Advent, both on the the waiting, the the longing, but also the joy, I think really comes through, especially as the season of Advent progresses. And now that we're at December 15th and and that much closer, particularly to Christmas, the the joy really builds the anticipation. You know, you're you're just waiting for it. My my hands are you can't see what I'm doing with my hands, but you know how like you're just ah it's coming. He he's coming. And that's that's the message of Advent is that he is coming and of course not only at Christmas but on the last day and that is our our great expectation and longing and hope even as he comes now he comes to us in word and in sacrament and so the the season of advent especially now as we're getting farther along into it is just such a, a wonderful time a time of preparation as you said there are some similarities to lent even in the way that lent prepares us for repentance 
Advent prepares us for Christmas. And yet Advent has that just a, a beautiful tone to it that that really it, it's just such a wonderful season of the church year. So glad to, to have you here looking at this hymn with us today. As you think about Advent hymns, Pastor Andrews, what, what are your favorite? I, I've been asking, what is your favorite Advent hymn? But maybe I should start asking, what are your favorite Advent hymns? Because several people have given me more than one. You're going to let me pick more than one? I'll let you pick more than one. I let others pick more than one All and right. I ask them for one. So All right. well, I'll just let you have free reign. I'll just go with two. Um, if I were picking out a couple, um, number 342, um, What Hope and Eden Prophesied. Uh, I really enjoyed that one, both both in it's, it's got a nice tune and uh, the, the words pointing us to Christ's return and to coming into to paradise. It's just the idea of restoring paradise is so clear in that hymn and and also family connection. One of my daughters is named Eden um, for that very same reason. Um, awesome. So yeah, I love that one. And then as a, I don't know, I kind of consider myself an Old Testament preacher. I really also like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel uh, with all the Old Testament imagery uh, and the, the various O antiphon kind of phrases that are throughout it as well. So those are my two favorite. Awesome. And and you span the 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 gap of or the you span the great tradition of church history. The the one three forty two is quite new to our to our church. And O Come O Come Emmanuel is not the most ancient, but it's it goes back a ways. So yeah, several the, hundred the, years. The full, that's right. That's right. So the full full scope of church history there in your favorite hymnody. You dear listener, please let us know what your favorite Advent hymn or hymns are. Send an email to KFUO at KFUO.org. Let us know where you are listening and what your favorite Advent hymns are. Now, Brother Today, Apple, Pastor, what, what are your favorite Advent hymns? Well, so I've I've mentioned it before. I I really I really enjoy the hymn "Oh Lord, How Shall I Meet You," number three thirty four in Lutheran Service Book, and and in particularly the fourth stanza about love and love being the cause of what Christ has done for us. I I just I've always appreciated that. It brings great comfort. Uh, especially during a time when maybe there's there are some moments of grief, uh, to know that that Christ has come out of love for me is just a a beautiful comfort. So, uh, Paul Gerhardt, the the hymn writer, I don't think you can go wrong with anything he writes. So, that's that is is my favorite. I think if you force me to pick one, so oh, very good. Yeah, uh, I appreciate you asking. I appreciate, but I try not to to say mine every day either. So, so. <laughs> There's any number of good Advent hymns, as, as we've discovered, listening to our, our various guests tell us their favorites. Not everybody's the same. And so that's, that's wonderful that we have such a variety of hymnody that speaks God's word to us. So we get to look at 349 today. Hark the glad sound. Pastor Andrews, let's talk a little bit about the background of this hymn and its author before we go through the hymn itself. Sure. So this one comes out of England. Uh, it's an, I can't call him an Anglican, a Church of England pastor. He's, he's broke away from that. Uh, Philip Doddridge is what's called a, a nonconformist. So they didn't like the way the Church of England uh, necessarily was structured, its reliance on government and so forth. And so they, they rejected that authority. But uh, Reverend Doddridge, when he would prepare a, a sermon for the weekend, would often end up writing a hymn to go along with that, that sermon. And so this is actually from him we even have the original autograph, the original manuscript that he wrote for this hymn, and it, it dates to December 28th of 1735 when he wrote it. Um, wow. He composed seven verses for this hymn, 
And the, the verses we include are pretty close to the very original language that he, he himself wrote. Uh, the tune of it is unique to us. It, uh, there's no other hymn in our hymnal that matches this particular tune. Uh, the tune itself has kind of a, uh, an interesting story behind it. Is, uh, so we've got this, it's called Chesterfield. And as he was serving as a pastor, a parish pastor, one of his members would frequently receive a visit from this man, uh, Lord Chesterfield. And so um, somehow that tune it gets named after that gentleman. So he came to know him, I suppose, and, and shared that faith and oh, maybe borrowed the tune from him beyond me. Huh. But uh, so, yeah, some interesting stuff to ponder. Yeah, for sure. That's that's quite quite something that the actual date that is is written on the on the manuscript. That's that's quite something. I don't know that there's too many hymns in our hymnal that that would be able to date to a particular date. So that's that's fantastic. Just thinking about the the four stanzas that are included in this hymn overall, what's this hymn about? Well, as we look at Hark the glad sound. I think you gave a pretty good introduction to it originally here. So the glad sound, we're talking about the the good news, the gospel, the proclamation that Jesus, the Savior of the world, has come, and he's breaking us free from Satan's bondage. He is our our king. I'm going to bring out the contrast as we go through these verses between the prince that is Satan versus the prince of peace that is Jesus who takes us from Satan's bondage and brings us into his kingdom uh, where we get to sing and proclaim his name forevermore. All right, so we are looking at hymn number 349 in Lutheran Service Book this morning, Hark the Glad Sound. Here is stanza one. Hark the glad sound, the Savior comes, the Savior promised long. Let every heart prepare a throne and every voice a song. That is stanza one of Hark the Glad Sound. So, Pastor Andrews, this is one of those hymns in the Advent section, and it continues into the Christmas section that starts with the word hark, which is not a word we use too often in English anymore, other than when we sing these hymns. What does the word hark mean? Oh, my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, is that it is to call attention to something. Yeah, I think it just means listen, hey, hear. Right. So, so listen, listen to the glad sound. What are, what are we being asked to listen to here? The glad sound. What's the glad sound? The glad sound is those very next words, the Savior comes. And so we might, as Christians, think of the, the proclamation that the angel comes to the shepherds in the field on the night of Christmas and, and tells them the good news that unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, Christ the, the Lord. And they're so excited to hear that good news. They go and they, they visit, they talk to Joseph and Mary, they share what they've heard with Mary, and she treasures and ponders those things in her heart after that. So, yeah, it's this, this glad sound, the good news of the promise that Jesus Christ would come and that indeed he has come. And now as, as his people, we continue to share that good news. We continue to well, hearken, not quite the same word, to the that glad sound as we share it with one another again and again. Right, that's right. We we call the world to hearken to us. Hark, listen to this proclamation that the Savior comes. So the listen to the glad sound. I think in the 
in the context of Advent, you know, you mentioned the the good news spoken to the shepherds. The angel said, "Listen to this good news." In the context of Advent, especially coming out of the second week and going into the and the third week as well, you know, John the Baptist is one of the key figures in Advent preaching, and you know, listen to him. Listen to him as a the one who preaches good news. And we've we've seen this in previous hymns that mention John a little bit more explicitly, that even though, you know, sometimes we think of him as, you know, he preached repentance and fire and brimstone, yet he too is a preacher of good news because he points to the coming of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But the thing I love about this hymn, and you'll know, hark the glad sound, that the Savior is coming and the Savior is here, it doesn't have to be limited to those those Advent preachers that we know like John the Baptist or later the angels on the night of Christmas, but this glad sound to which we listen, it continues to resound in the world. And you've already mentioned how we as the church still proclaim this good news. Our pastors proclaim this good news so that you know, listening to the glad sound, certainly it fits in this Advent hymn and we'll talk more about that, but this is something that that we as Christians are called to do daily, to listen to the good news that Jesus is here. So, Pastor Andrews, we've got Hark the Glad Sound, the Savior comes, the Savior promised long. Can you talk more about that news, the Savior comes and the Savior promised long, this glad sound? Oh, promised long goes way back. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the, the proto-evangelium, the first promise of good news, where as soon as sin has come into this creation, I mean, God doesn't wait. As soon as it comes in that very day, God is already announcing his plan to save and to redeem it. And that, that promise then ends up being what the scriptures trace from Genesis 3 all the way through the Old Testament, following along the, the lineage of this Messiah who would come. And the promise is reiterated generation to generation. So we have Abraham hearing it from God in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 and then he passes it to Isaac and Isaac to Jacob and Jacob to Joseph and, well, ultimately Judah for the lineage of Jesus. But that promise being, again, continued to be shared, the people looked forward to it. And those people we call our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, the preacher to the Hebrews calls them the great cloud of witnesses, uh, that they, they endured whatever this world threw, threw at them, knowing and longing for uh, a better country, the one that would come the kingdom of their savior. And that's, again, what we get, not just with the season of Christmas, as John, you mentioned John's preaching, he proclaims repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or is it, it's near. But also when we think of the second coming that Jesus Christ has promised, behold, I am coming soon. That's what makes this an Advent hymn as we focus on the return of Jesus Christ here. Uh, we look to the heavens above as the angels tell us to do in Acts chapter 1. Uh, Men of Galilee, why do you stand staring off into heaven? We wait for Christ to come again. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. So the again, the Savior comes, the Savior promised long. Uh, we often think of that in the sense that, okay, the saints of the Old Testament, that's for them. And it was for them. They put their faith in that promise that the Savior would come. And yet at the same time, the season of Advent and this hymn isn't just a transportation back in time to kind of try to remember what it was like for them and sort of put ourselves in their shoes. 
but rather to recognize that our listening to the glad sound of this message is this is for us. We are waiting for the Savior to return, for Jesus to come on the last day and to raise us from our graves and take us to the fullness of life in the resurrection. And so this this is very much for us. And even you know that that coming that happens in between those two, in between the incarnation and the last day, still today in his church, our Lord comes to us. He comes in his word that is preached. He comes in the sacraments of holy baptism and in holy communion. And, and in that sound, right, that, I mean, that's the glad sound for us too. So, I mean, you know, I'm just thinking about this, this first line, hark the glad sound. I suppose if, if, you're, if your church has a, a church bell that rings, that could be a glad sound for you that you should listen to and and then go to church <laughs> because it's, it's a, a sound that's telling you Jesus is coming for you here today. So again, yeah. this, this harking, this, go ahead, Pastor. That, that church bell would, would ring and, and call your attention to the idea that you know, church is about to meet. You get to go and hear God's word. You get to go and, and receive those, those promises given to you, shed for you, that forgiveness of sins. So that's a, that's a wonderful one to bring out. Uh, many people probably just ignore church bells today. Right. And so for us as Christians, that, that can be a glad sound. And of course, that glad sound is, is meant to draw our attention to the, the even gladder sound of the, of the pastor who stands in the stead of Christ and proclaims the absolution and the pastor who preaches God's word and the pastor who administers the body and blood of Jesus. There too is the glad sound for you. So let the church bells draw your attention to the glad sound that you will hear when you go to the divine service. Yeah, that, that's the glad sound we really want to hear. There's nothing better than to hear that our sins are forgiven and that we have life in Christ. This is, I think, what Luther does with his, his explanation of the third commandment is he goes so very quickly to talking about not physical rest, which is certainly a part of resting, um, but he goes straight to a, the spiritual rest that we would gather in the Lord's house. We would not despise the Lord's word and, and preach him, but gladly hear and learn it because what gives us more rest than to have that burden and that guilt of our sin lifted off of our shoulders? Mm, yeah, that's right. So this truly is the glad sound. As, as we've said in, in previous episodes, when we've talked about the gladness and the joy of Advent, it's, it's okay to smile when you go to church because it is truly a, a glad sound that you hear there that your sins are forgiven because the Savior who has been promised long has come. Then the, the hymn continues, let every heart prepare a throne and every voice a song. And, and, and especially in our context today in American Christianity with decision theology in, in some of some denominations, these words could be misunderstood, Pastor Andrew. So we want to make sure we understand them correctly. What does it mean to for every heart to prepare a throne and every voice a song? Yeah, I can't speak to the original intent either. Um, I don't know non-conformist Church of England uh, theology all that well. Um, but yeah, I can certainly see the decision theology and what could be seen in this as saying that we have to prepare, you know, that, that idea that we have to accept Jesus into our hearts. We have to prepare a home for Jesus to live in us. And that's not the picture that we want to use with this phrase. Uh, so again, as I mentioned at the start, the idea that Advent is a season of preparation. So much like God's people in the Old Testament, uh, you know, you might point to something like Josiah, where they have to rediscover God's word 
um, and they they read it, they repent of their sins, and then then there was work to do, and they cleaned up and they got rid of stuff that didn't belong. So, like Lent gives us that chance to reflect and and look at our lives and think more seriously about our sin. Uh, we could take this verse for Advent in a very similar way that we would, knowing that Christ already dwells in us, let's let's take a look. Let's take a look at our lives and let's, if my heart is to be God's throne, if he's going to dwell within me, uh, let me seek for that to be a pure heart. And then the second part of it, let me, let me prepare a song. Um, let my heart sing and not just um, go about moping or going about even speaking things that really aren't befitting of, of a child of God to speak. Hmm. Right, yeah, and the fact that it is the the heart that prepares a throne is a recognition that, as we've seen in other Advent hymn, Christ comes as King. He He comes as the one who will be, you know, my Lord, not not the other way around. I don't tell Jesus what to do. I don't boss him around. I don't set the set. I, I take this right way. I don't set the rules, but rather I let Jesus be Lord. Because, and the reason I I can do that is because I know how he has come to me. He has come as the Savior. He is one who has shown himself to be for me. And because he has saved me, and because the Holy Spirit has worked that faith in my heart, then he rightly takes his place in my heart on that throne as the Lord, and and no other, and no other Lord. Only he can can rightly sit on that throne. And, and so, right, we, we want to make sure we understand this correctly, but rightly understood these are, are important important things for Christians that we would prepare our hearts for his coming. This is what the season of Advent helps us to do, and that we would prepare our voices to sing, right? I mean, what a, what a wonderful thing that we've been doing this Advent season, going through these hymns, learning. I know we've been reading them, but at least in my own mind, I'm kind of humming along in the, with the tune. And, and what a joyful thing that is for Christians to sing. I, I think, oh man, I, I just... I always encourage Christians to sing because it, it is so helpful to us and it is so helpful to others when we put that word of God to song. Uh, what, a, what a wonderful way to receive Christ. Yeah, and, and as you think of a, a family's pattern for devotion, I don't think there's a, a better text in Scripture for family devotional life than Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, yeah. which is somewhere along the lines of let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God. Um, so yeah, we are we are as his people to sing and to include music in our lives because what does what do we know about what music does? Well, we know we know it can certainly impact our our mood, which isn't necessary for salvation certainly, but it, it's helpful for daily life uh, to be uplifted and encouraged. Um, we we know music can help with retention of of the words and and ideas that are in that hymn. As you think about, I don't know, uh, what things in your life did you memorize to song uh, as you were even going through school as a child? So, yeah, it's it's so beneficial to keep the the music of the church in our daily life. Yeah, that's right. And so the the hymn invites us to do just that, that our hearts would prepare a place for him, that our voices would be prepared to sing his praises. Let's go ahead and begin to look at stanza two of the hymn. This is the text. He comes the prisoners to release in Satan's bondage held. 
the gates of brass before him burst, the iron fetters yield. That is stanza two of Hark the Glad Sound, number 349 in Lutheran Service Book. So we've got, he comes again. Uh, let's talk about, we've got about oh, two minutes here before the break, Pastor Andrew. So let's tar- start talking about the primary image that's that's here, the idea of Jesus releasing prisoners. Give us some biblical background for that. Yeah, certainly. This is the the whole picture of this text. So let me read you a couple of verses uh, from one from prophet Isaiah chapter 49, verse nine, and the other will be from Zechariah nine, verses 11 and 12. Isaiah wrote, saying to the prisoners, Come out to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways, and on all the bare heights shall be their pasture. And then Zechariah, as for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. There's a couple of Old Testament verses that connect here. Um, this idea that Christ has come to release the prisoners, and more specifically, as the verse will then focus on, is what are we imprisoned to, which is the devil. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Jesus speaks about being a slave to sin elsewhere in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 8, this holds us captive. And so Christ has come to set us free. We've seen these themes of freedom in other Advent hymns. You've given us some great Old Testament background. In fact, Jesus takes a passage from Isaiah chapter 61, which speaks about freedom, and and he even uses it for his initial sermon in, in Capernaum. In Luke chapter four, he preaches, and so he he uses this theme, and it comes up in our Advent hymnody. We're going to keep looking at it on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We are studying the hymn "Hark the Glad Sound" with Pastor Steve Andrews this morning. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, December 15th. We are studying the hymn, Hark the Glad Sound, number 349 in Lutheran Service Book. Our guest today is Pastor Steve Andrews. He serves at St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Lee's Summit, Missouri. Pastor Andrews, prior to the break, we started to look at stanza two, where Christ is the one who sets the prisoners free. You gave us some 
Old Testament background, both from the prophet Isaiah and from the prophet Zechariah. This is an important theme for what the Christ will come to do. Jesus uses a text, I believe it's actually in his hometown, Nazareth, rather than Capernaum. He quotes from Isaiah 61 about setting captives free. We've got that here, but we're, we're talking, well, what kind of captivity are we talking about? We've mentioned sin and the devil both. What, what is this captivity uh, in which we are being held? It helps to remember the, the greater historical context of really the whole of God's creation. So one of the ways I like to think about all of this is that in the beginning, God created the world and he then entrusted it to Adam and Eve, that Adam and Eve were to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and so forth. They were to rule over this creation and care for it. God entrusted it to them. And so when the devil sneaks his way into the garden and tempts them and they fall into that temptation, they fall into sin, they don't just break themselves, hmm. but they break the entire creation along with them because they were its caretakers. It doesn't break because of Satan, because God did not entrust it to Satan to care for, but to Adam and Eve. And so really the way I describe it is that in that act of, of falling into sin, Adam and Eve take the creation God had entrusted to them and in turn, they entrust it to, to the devil. And so what we find then of ourselves is that he is the prince of the power of the air, which Paul calls him in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Uh, he's also called the prince of demons a few other times in scripture. We are enslaved there. You made the, the good reference to the fact that we're enslaved to sin. Um, that comes up in the epistles as well. And we also know that we are, we, I don't know that slave of death is actually a, a scriptural phrase, but we like to label sin, death, and the devil as the three enemies. And that's, that's this prison that we find ourselves in. And yet, then we can connect to Matthew's gospel, chapter 12, as we enter into year A and the year of studying Matthew, mm. the conversation about Christ binding the strong man. Yeah. I think a lot of times that text gets misunderstood that the strong man must first be bound so that then the thief can break in and plunder and steal and, and so forth. And Jesus is the one breaking in. He's the one binding the strong man, that this is the devil's house, that he has taken it and Jesus has come to take it back. And that we, you and I, and, and all of you listening, we're the, we're the plunder. We're the, the spoil that Christ has come to set free. It's really a fun, fun picture. Um, or if we compare it with the cross, uh, the cross is that moment in history that the devil thought he won. Right? He nails God in the flesh. He nails him to a cross as this grotesque uh, humiliation of God and, and kills him. But again, as Genesis 3.15 had declared that, uh, yes, the serpent would strike his heel, but that he, the Savior, would crush the serpent's head. That moment on the cross where Satan thinks he has won is actually the moment that Satan has been defeated. Because Satan's power against us is our sin, that he can stand before God and accuse you and accuse me and say that we're not worthy of paradise, we're not worthy of God's love, and yet those accusations are now empty because Christ has taken all of our sin away. He has freed us, he's set us free, and Satan no longer has any power over us. He's been undone. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So we are free. We are those who have been freed from sin, from the power of death, from the power of the devil. It, it strikes me that this imagery about prisoners being released comes often, at least I, I don't, maybe it, I'm not sure if it's just me, but I, I associate this hymn often with the third Sunday in Advent, the Sunday about rejoicing with the rose or pink colored candle. And, and yet on the third Sunday in Advent, the gospel reading often, not always, but it's often the account of John the Baptist who is in prison and he sends the messengers asking to Jesus, are yeah. you the one who was to come or should we expect another? And, and here we are on that same Sunday singing about prisoners being released. We know that John didn't actually get released from that physical prison. He ended up beheaded in that prison later in the gospel. What a, what a striking contrast, though, to know that in Christ, John and all who are faithful do have true freedom from a slavery and an imprisonment even greater than what Herod could give. In Christ, we have that real freedom. Even if in this life we suffer, we still can rejoice because we know that that Christ has given us that true freedom and that greatest freedom from sin and death and the devil. Yeah, that's an excellent way to look at it. I mean, the the early disciples there of Jesus, they anticipated a worldly deliverer. They expected him to be basically like one of those Old Testament judges that would deliver them from the oppression of Rome. And that didn't happen. John expected something more as well, and it, it didn't happen. And yet, because of faith, they received the greater gift, the deliverance not from just worldly troubles, um, but the deliverance from worldly evil, uh, the deliverance from sin, death, and the devil. Now, the second stanza ends with the lines, the gates of brass before him burst, the iron fetters yield. To me, that, that sounds like prison imagery. I'm not sure if the brass and the iron have any biblical background or if this is just you know a, a poetic way of speaking about Christ setting prisoners free. Yeah, no, I'm not sure either. Um, I read these lines and I consider the idea of like a prison cell as we would think about it today. And you, you can all envision the man standing behind the bars and he's got his hands on the bars and there's nothing he can do. He, he can't bend metal. He can't get out. And yet, much like the empty tomb, uh, we have this, this imagery sometimes in our mind of the tomb bursting open, um, even though it was sealed shut. So the, the cell of our imprisonment, our slavery to sin and death, well, that has also been burst open by Christ himself. And that results in that rejoicing that you were mentioning. Like you can picture the, the prisoner whose prison cell just suddenly exploded, like the wall, and it imploded. He can get out now and he. He's not just going to kind of sit there and and cry. He's going to rejoice and celebrate. He's free. Well, we've been set free. Um, The gates, the brass, iron, whichever, um, they yield and burst. They can no longer hold us. And that's the the picture I like to point out uh, when I do a funeral service, that as the grave could not hold Christ, the grave will not hold our brother or our sister either, that their body will be raised on the last day. Christ will open that tomb. Cemeteries are going to be quite the sight on the last day as, as the Lord raises the dead, um, breaking them free from that prison. Right. Yeah, the the, the two materials mentioned by, by Reverend Doddridge uh, perhaps don't have any biblical significance, but this thought of a prison cell bursting open uh, and connecting it to the the 
prison of death, I think is fantastic and is very similar, I think, to the way that St. Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. In Acts 2.24, Peter preaches to the Pentecost crowd that God raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So there you have that idea of, of freedom from death that Christ has won and done for himself. And as you said, that means that we have the promise from freedom from death on the last day, that the tomb is not a prison that will hold us forever, but rather Christ will bring us forth from our graves. He will raise our bodies, make them incorruptible and immortal. And as you said, what a what a day that will be. God, God bring it quickly. Yeah. Come Lord Jesus. I just did a, a quick word search on brass. It only shows up in ESV once. Um, and interestingly, the word iron shows up right next to it. Um, oh. Isaiah 48, verse 4, because I know that you are obstinate. Your neck is an iron sinew and your forehead brass. I declared to you from of old before they came to pass, I announced them to you, lest you should say my idol did them. Now, skipping ahead a little bit, uh, you have heard, now see all this, will you not declare it? From this time forth, I announced to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. So I can't guarantee that that's where Reverend Dodgers was coming from, but it's, it's, it's maybe. Well, I, I do. I think probably, and again, you know, you can't know for sure, I suppose, but I have a feeling he's probably just talking about a prison cell. These are two very, these are two metals that you wouldn't think are going to just open up, but because of Christ, we are set free and then not even these prisons can hold us. Let's, uh, let's take a look now at stanza three of the hymn. He comes the broken heart to bind the bleeding soul to cure and with the treasures of his grace to enrich the humble poor. That stanza three of the hymn, Hark the Glad Sound, in Lutheran Service Book, number 349. So this time, we're, we've we've left behind the prison imagery, and now it seems we're dealing more with healing imagery. Take us into this stanza. Well, as, as the other ones have done, it opens up with the Advent theme, right? He comes, and indeed he does. And what has he come for? You mentioned Isaiah 61 already, and that, that connects here as well. Um, that he would come to heal the brokenhearted. So let me read Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. The spirit of Yahweh God is upon me because Yahweh has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of Yahweh's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. So this idea of being brokenhearted, I mean, we've got the idea of being broken. We understand that. And yeah, you, you break your arm, your arm is going to get set so that that bone can begin to heal and mend. And so to, to bind up a wound, same thing here. Christ has come to bind our very hearts, um, not just this broken body, but also the soul. He is, as Mark in chapter 2 said, he is the great physician that on the last day he's going to heal both my body and my soul. He's going to raise them from death, reunite them, glorify them, and make them immortal and perishable. And, well, can we get to live forevermore? So it's such a, an incredible thing that we, we even struggle to describe what it'll look like. We have no idea, really. Mm, yeah, the, so he comes the broken heart 
to bind, and then the bleeding soul to cure. Again, the same same imagery, I think, in terms of healing or the same same playing field, but take us into that next phrase. We can't just slap a Band-Aid on it. Um, mm-hmm. Having little children, they think Band-Aids cure everything. Right. Uh, our soul bleeds. Mm. That's a really powerful and kind of profound thing to just stop and pause on. We think of the body being broken. And when we think of bleeding, we think of the body bleeding. We, we may not be able to truly articulate what exactly our soul is, but we know that there's more than just the, the physical body. Um, there is body and soul or spirit, or some say soul and spirit, but Christ has come to heal it all. It's not just that he's come to heal one or the other. He hasn't just come so that he'll heal our bodies that we can live longer in this place, nor has he just come to heal the soul so that we can be uh, disembodied floating in the clouds for forever. He's come to restore both and that they would be together reunited forever. And it's, again, really profound. Um, The imagery of brokenness and bleeding, I think, are probably pointing us the same exact way. Yeah, yeah. And again, the, the, that's not usually the way we talk about those things. Maybe broken heart, but a bleeding soul is, is not always the way we think about it. And yet Christ has come to heal those things, to cure and bind them up. As the stanza continues, we get the treasures of his grace. So a, a slight shift in imagery. Talk about that phrase, the treasures of Christ's grace. I like to describe grace as the, the gifts that we receive from God that we don't deserve. Um, so we think then of the gifts of his word and sacrament, the, the gifts of forgiveness, life, and salvation. We don't deserve any of this, and yet the Lord has so richly, so super abundantly poured them out upon us, showered them upon us, and this is the treasure. We might think of Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or he, he tells us not to, not to store up for ourselves uh, treasures in this life where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but rather to store up for ourselves things in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy and, and thieves don't break in and steal. And so these are his gifts. The, the pointing of, of scripture to Christ, the forgiveness of sins that we have in him, these are the things that we treasure. And uh, as we talk about, again, how to focus on this as a, a family or a congregation to pass these gifts on to our children so that they also learn not to treasure the things of the world, but to treasure the things that point them to Christ, their Savior. Mm. All right. And these gifts, the hymn invites us to sing, enrich the humble poor. I, I, you know, I, I, I hear a, a bit of an echo to the way Jesus speaks again to John when John's in prison and he sends those messengers to him. And, and Jesus tells him very clearly, yes, I am the one who is to come, you know, trust in me. But the way he does it is by pointing to the things that he does. And, and among the things that he says to John, the way that he ends, he says, the poor have good news preached to them. 
that's the that is the the among the signs that yes Jesus is the coming one the one that they've been looking for that the poor have good news preached to them and so this this thought of enriching the humble poor is is not necessarily and, and not primarily even an economic sense but poor in spirit language I think is what we're talking about here right I, we we have that quick sinful nature side of things that we think of riches or poverty and we think of of money uh, and, and that's not the only thing that matters in this world or in this life and really money matters in the end very little in this world and in this life uh, Jesus the account of Lazarus and the the rich man uh, which has debated whether it's a parable or not but anyway um, you've got Lazarus, a poor man who there sits at the rich man's gate and, and just hopes for the crumbs that would fall from his table. He's so poor and ill that the dogs come and lick at his sores, and yet he gets to go to paradise. It's not because he was rich and famous and wealthy and powerful, but because he trusted in Christ. And that's what it ends up being for us as well. This this worldly way of looking at things, what power is, what wealth is, if you have it, fine. Um, use what power you've been given in this world, what authority you've been given in this world to love your neighbor. If you have wealth, fine. Uh, use it to love your neighbor. But in the end, that's all it's good for. It's unrighteous stuff. It's the, the treasures that last, that endure forever of Christ's love for us. Those are the indescribable gifts uh, that really are worth having. Hmm. Pastor Andrews, we have about eight minutes left, and you you mentioned from the outset that there are a few stanzas that Reverend Doddridge wrote that didn't make the the Lutheran service book, and, and the four that we have are fantastic. But there was one that you mentioned to me that you, you found very very helpful. This is according to to the notes you sent me. This is stanza six of of the way he wrote it, just briefly. His silver trumpets publish loud the jubilee of the Lord. Our debts are all remitted now, our heritage restored. And I think I can see why you'd like that. You've got that same theme of the idea of freedom and and being released there, all connected to Christ. Just briefly, a comment on that stanza before we move into stanza four as, as we have it in the Lutheran service book. Sure. I'll spare the listener the whole list. Go to Numbers chapter 10, verses 1 to 10 sometime and, and read. You'll be able to find out what all Israel, ancient Israel, used the trumpets for. But only the priest was allowed to blow the trumpet. And so for Jesus... For these to be his trumpets, for him to be doing this, to publish them loud. Um, the connection here that Jesus is our great high priest from the book of Hebrews, that he is the one that could declare the year of Jubilee, which is the restoration of all things. I mentioned uh, my one of my favorite hymns being What Hope and Eden Prophesied, because I've got a daughter named Eden. Uh, that's her name, Eden Jubilee, is that Eden paradise and Jubilee restoring, that God restores paradise to us is such a a wonderful idea. So the year of Jubilee is Leviticus 25. If the listener wants to take a look more into that, where God would restore everything to its original place, whether it was the property that had been sold, or if it was somebody that was in poverty or a slave, uh, the trumpet was blown on the day of atonement to mark the start of the year of Jubilee in that place. Um, and so here, this, this verse that we didn't include talks about Christ restoring his creation. Uh, that we are heirs of paradise, we're created to work this creation, to be its caretakers. We've been released from our bondage to Satan. We've been given rest in Christ. 
And now we get to work with him to care for this forevermore. And it also has the, the imagery of remitting debts, removing them, uh, wiping them away, which we talk about as, as the church all the time, that Christ has done this for us by his most precious blood. He has taken our sins away. So there's a lot of great language, I think, in this, this verse that would, would certainly preach. Um, the verses, so the ones we use are verses 1, 3, 5, and 7 from the original. Um, this would be verse 6. Uh, two and four don't use language that we ourselves would use very often, so I can see why they were omitted. Um, but yeah, it would have been fun to see this one in there. All right, let's take a look now at the last stanza in Lutheran service book, stanza four. Our glad hosannas, Prince of Peace, thy welcome shall proclaim, and heaven's eternal arches ring with thy beloved name. That is the last stanza of hymn number 30, 40, 349 in Lutheran service book, Hark the Glad Sound. So we have a, a familiar word to us, I think, in the season of Advent and even from the liturgy, the word Hosanna. And these are glad Hosannas that we offer to the Prince of Peace. Talk about that very first phrase of the stanza. Sure. The word Hosanna is Hebrew. It means save us now. And so most people would probably remember and think of the triumphal entry as Jesus rides on the donkey into Jerusalem. And how, yeah, glad hosannas, the people were shouting that day, save us now, save us now. You can envision the chanting of the parade um, to their prince, to their king. And we continue uh, to shout out in the same way. How many of us have literally asked God to save us? Um, not as a, a decision, but as just a daily life, right? As we suffer from one sin or one, one temptation or trial or another. Uh, Lord, save me from this hour. Uh, deliver us. And so we we continue to proclaim this ourselves. The idea that he is our Prince of Peace connects to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the, the language that Isaiah wrote there, which is a remarkable contrast to what we had back in what we call stanza 2, um, that we were held in Satan's bondage, that Satan is the prince of this world but Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Satan rules this world by power and by force, but Jesus rules this world by peace and by reconciliation. I'm reminded of Colossians chapter 1. Through him, God reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Hmm. Yeah, so Christ is our Prince of Peace. We sing our glad hosannas. And we proclaim his welcome. Thy welcome shall proclaim. That's a very short line. What exactly does that mean? I could see it being taken one way or another. Um, the first way would be that we welcome Jesus with our hosannas. Again, thinking of the triumphal entry, he processed into Jerusalem. Um, this would be Psalm 118, verse 25, the people shouting these things. But I think we could also take it to refer to paradise, that thy welcome is not our words, but Christ's words, that he is the one proclaiming, he welcomes us into his paradise by acknowledging our faith in him, our reliance upon him for salvation. Much like we see him in the gospel accounts, so often tell people something like, your faith has saved you. And so he hears our, our hosannas, he hears of our faith, and he, he gladly shares that, that word with his father that we are his. So thy welcome shall proclaim. And then the, the stanza concludes, and heaven's eternal arches ring with thy beloved name. Give us the, the imagery that the stanza, this hymn concludes with. I would say the arches of heaven probably are meant to get our minds thinking of Revelation 21, that picture of the, the new Jerusalem 
that holy city coming down from heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. And you get such a wonderful description of this like cubically shaped place with all these gates made of a single pearl and yet they're massive and um, just streets paved with gold. It's the church. It's the very bride of Christ that is being described there. And so while some may take this last line to be that the angels are singing, uh, again, I'd take it to the reference that we've actually come to paradise, that we get to sing, we get to proclaim, we get to to sing our glad hosannas in the name of Jesus, our Savior, forevermore. And I don't want to miss out on the chance to point out that connection uh, for English speakers. That's not obvious. Hosanna and Jesus come from the same word. Um, Hosanna comes from the Hebrew verb yasha, which means to save. And so does the name Jesus. Yasha becomes a name in Hebrew, Yeshua or Joshua, as we would put it in English. And when they translate that to Greek, you come to the New Testament age, that becomes the name Jesus for us. So Hosanna and Jesus come from that same word, and it is the proclamation of the angel in Matthew chapter 1. You shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And as the hymn started, that is the glad sound, that this Savior, Jesus, that is what his name means, he comes, this long-promised Savior, he has come for you and for me. He came in his incarnation, he still comes with his body and his blood and his word today, and he will come on the last day as the Savior. Jesus. That's what his name means. That is the glad sound. Pastor Steve Andrews serves at St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Lee's Summit, Missouri, helping us today with hymn number 349 in Lutheran service book, Hark the Glad Sound. Pastor Andrews, thanks for being our guest today. Oh, thank you very much. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. We would love to hear from you what your favorite Advent hymn or hymns are. Please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Let us know where you're listening. Tell us your favorite Advent hymns and why. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.